Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. people leo phillips here with this must be the gig your backstage pass to the world of live music every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of i think the most exciting names on this gigantic big spongy globe we talk to them about passion first concerts last concerts and everything in the juicy center this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Roots rocker Pete Yorn to discuss seeing Diana Ross as a child, performing replacements covers in the school talent show, and, of course, his daughter's love of Smash Mouth. But before we dig into all of that, let's check in with our constant companion here at TMBTG Studios. Hello, Engineer Adam. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, pretty pretty good. We've had a little bit of a break. We've had some field roast turkeyless turkey. Turkeyless turkey for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. We are thankful that you're listening to this episode. Why so are you pronouncing thank you, everyone. Like that. I don't know. It sounds fun. Oh, but is it fun to say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Try it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> kind of feels a little bit. I wanted to introduce our brand new extra feature for the intro. Are you what? ready? Yes. It is the as yet unnamed <laughs> quiz portion of the show. Shit, is that all we could do? Well, That's if somebody else do. if somebody else can do better, they can write into this must be the gig at gmail.com and let this us know. Yeah, pardon good. me, this must be the gig. And let us know sure and that, that we could we could delightful. start using their title for this segment. But for now it is the unnamed is quiz segment of the week. No, we could call it something. Quizbiz. Quizbiz. It's the quizbiz. Or, or the quiznots. It's quiznose sandwiches. What's quiznose? That was a chain that used to exist in America. I just heard from heard of it through the movies. Yeah, exactly. What about um Quiz miserable rabbles. The Les Quiz. <laughs> yes, so it is from good. now on known as this is the Le Quiz Marables. Les Quiz Marables. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Les, what is it really called? Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Le Quiz Marables. So, Les Rabbles. There you go. <laughs> we we got just it. Joe Pesci that. Okay, so. Who's this... watching Home Alone? Oh, sorry. Yeah, we're all watching what? Home Alone. Okay. It's a, it's a, everyone. I'm just going to drop it there. What? This week, the... Le Quizrable. Why are you not pronouncing S? You're not French. Le Quizrable. On le deux fromage. This Les Quizrables. Yes, this week's Les Quizrables. <laughs> oh my God, I cackled there. Shit, I'm sorry. Sorry, called... listeners. It's called... Le, le listeners. It is oh, called yeah. Aquabat or Avenger. Oh, 
Are you ready for this? I don't know. Please explain to the darling listeners out there that I have no idea about this. This is all new coming show from segment. the brain of Engineer Adam and Ain't It Twisted. <laughs> Cootie Patootie. <laughs> so, this week's quiz, I'm going to oh. test you on your knowledge here of both comic books and music, which, you know, oh. is a sweet spot Fact. for you. Okay. So, but I also like being prepared. So this is now the, like what quiz, what happens baby? when a stand-up comic is going to point me out in the crowd. Pop quiz, baby. Shitting. Okay, let's go. So you've got to know the band The Aquabats, who are a ska punk group who dress like superheroes and fight monsters during the middle of their shows. Mm-hmm. And you've got to know the Avengers, the comic book group. I got you, baby. You know, Iron Man, Captain you. America. But I there am are some other, some There are some other members of the Avengers that you might not know. So I'm going to name... A person. Okay. You've got to tell me if it's a member of the band The Aquabats or if it's one of the <laughs> lesser known Avengers. Great. I'm in. Yes. Wait, what's the Space Jam song? Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Is that from Space Jam? Yeah, it's from something. So the first Les Quizarables <laughs> answer Les is Catboy. <laughs> okay. Is that a member of The Aquabats or is that an Avenger? Aquabats. You're right. <laughs> yes. What do I win? Well, you got to get most. You got to get. Oh. We're going to go for six of them. Oh, and you've got to get the I best. I don't think we have time. No, literally, I don't think we have time. The two gun kid. Avenger. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Shit. I sense a pattern. I sense a pattern. Prince Adam. Oh, this one's. Okay. So my thinking is in Avengers. Mm-hmm. There aren't many princes and princesses. They are gods. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to say acrobats. You're right. <laughs> Shit. All three right. Burr, burr, burr. I'm not going to do that. All well, three I need right. a new Congrats. Congrats. I'm no, proud of you. let's do more. I, you I'm, do more? I'm okay. feeling lucky. Now you've got all three right. I'm feeling lucky. Well, there is one more prince on this list. Woof. The prince of karate. The prince of karate? Mm-hmm. Karate. Um, I would say acrobat. You're right again. Shit. All right, two Wait, more. Wait, my theory on the prince. I don't know if you all, um, I don't know, Taskmaster. Did you do your research? I don't know if there are any on princes in the Avengers. Not on the not game. On, the on game. your opponent, me. I'm your there opponent. There are two more answers yes. here. Iron Lad. Okay. There, I know there's an Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Is there an Iron Lad? I'm not such a fan of. That might shock and appall the masses. But is there an Iron Lad? I would say, what are my options? <laughs> Avenger or Aquabat? <laughs> I say it's an Avenger. You're right. Oh, look at me go. All right. The last one is Dr. Druid. Oh, this is an Avenger. You're nope. Right. You're right. Am I? Yep. yep. <laughs> get them all right. You got all six right. You know why? Why? Because we are comfy in the studio. There's yes. no pressure. There's nobody well, looking. Got There's nobody right. whispering. There's this is how you should have hand. taken all your tests. No, this is how I should live life. Yeah. I should just stay here just in, in the, the studio. studio. Why are you call it a studio? <laughs> <laughs> That's short for studio. Okay. Yeah. What are you, Australian now, bookies? You're going to put your cozy on and take out your brolly later when it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's, great, great addition. Thank you. That's going to be... Only I'm saying... I, I'm only saying that because I won. Yes, of course. But every week we're going to try to do another little fun quiz like that. I'm I'm actually working, looking into the technology of how we could get like a listener call in for that maybe oh. for future. So stay tuned. You might get your chance to contribute. So listen in. I am excited. No, I am not afraid of you. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. I don't <laughs> want you to be afraid of me. No. Well, sometimes when you put competition in front of me, I crumble and giggle and maybe throw the thing away. I throw away my future. Let's also return to our favorite other favorite segment. Favorite other favorite. Our favorite other favorite segment of the week here at the show. It is the live show of the week. I'm exhausted. You're exhausted from winning so hard. Yeah. Um, so yeah. each week we highlight one of the most heart-thumping events that we could find out in the world, and we bring it to you, our pod people, to go out there and go to the show. So this week's live show of the week, we are highlighting a performance from Lucy Dacus and Haley Hendricks at the 930 Club in Washington, D.C. on Saturday, December 
7th. As you might have heard in previous episodes, we love Lucy Dacus here Mm -hmm. at the show. She put out Historian and worked on the Boy Genius record in 2018, which makes for quite an impressive year. Hell of a year. And then also her 2019 EP was the sign that we've got even more greatness from Lucy coming up in the near Mm -hmm. future. So if you want to get in on that show or the excitement of any other show, you can head over to StubHub via cosradio.lv slash stubhub that's cosradio.lv slash stubhub to find the best selection of tickets to all of the hottest shows one more time cosradio.lv slash stubhub stubhub and while we're talking about important things that you need to do while you're on the internet go over to stitcher apple podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts subscribe rate and review to this show make it five stars i demand it go do it now throw us all your stars please. the promise we made in previous episodes was if you leave us a five-star review mm-hmm. on one of those aforementioned podcast purveyors send us an email at this must be the gig at gmail.com telling us which one was you and also let us know what your favorite snack was and we will send you a personalized recommendation so for a, a new favorite album yeah I mean, it's not Go confusing it. to us because no. we've already had people exactly. emailing us. So it's not, it shouldn't be confusing, but it does kind of sound a little bit Or just whiteboard. like tweet at me and say like, hey, I left you a review. What's up, man? And I'll be like, here's your new favorite album for the future. Let's focus on this week's interview. As I mentioned earlier, we are joined by Pete Yorn, who dials in from the ACAR studios in New York City. Pete is the legendary voice behind alternative smash hits like Life on a Chain and my personal favorite, Strange Condition, and most recently released a record with Jackson Phillips of Daywave called Caretakers. In addition to his touring life as a new father, Pete and I discuss his experiences at the legendary Los Angeles venue Largo, and we also chat about working with Scarlett Johansson and an unfortunate incident involving smoked pumpkin seeds this is me and pete enjoy so how was the philadelphia show last night it was great great crowd and fun i I got this new band playing with me so it's only our third show together so it's it's still fun and fresh you know yeah we had a good time and um Lots of sing-alongs, and, and uh, it was nice to see. I saw some, like, old-school uh, fans who've been following me since, like, two th- year 2000, 2001, and they're still oh, wow. still coming out. It was just so so cool to see all them, a lot of them based in Philly, so it was nice. Yeah, that's always wonderful, especially with the new band as well. Did you have any sort of tips and tricks that you had to work through before you guys started playing together. This tour is definitely kind of, uh, you know, celebrate the new record. And the cool thing is the band is, um, I made the record with this guy, Jackson Phillips, and he has a band called Daywave. And uh, he co-produced and co-wrote a lot of the songs on the record and played a lot of the parts on the record. And I think one day when I was thinking about going out on tour, he's like, he's like, hey, me and, me and my band will back you up if you want to if you need a band, because I'd been playing acoustic for a few years, and I haven't been taking a band out, and I was like, I could be fun, so we started playing a little <laughs> bit, and uh, yeah, so he he grabbed his, his two of his buddies that were in his band, and, and we kind of learned all this stuff, and a bunch of my old songs, and and uh, it's been really fun playing with them. So Jackson also produced the record as well. That's right, yeah. So what is that relationship like? Does it feel completely fresh, or do you feel like it's just something that you know, is really natural and organic. It's definitely natural, organic, and fresh. It's all it's all three things. I feel like it'd be all something you would things. like to see on a sign in the grocery store in, in the produce <laughs> section, and you would pick that fruit or vegetable. Um, yeah, you know, when we met, it was really like we just kind of had a quick rapport with, with each other and, and in the studio as well. We just kind of hit it off, and, um, and he brings... He brings a really cool aesthetic to the live show with his guitar playing and his synth playing, and... Uh, and he sings background vocals on the record in a lot of spots, so it's cool to have him be able to sing those live too. And when you're working with new people and kind of teaching them your old material, do you feel like you learn it in a new light or hear it in a new light when you 
are playing it back for them. Absolutely. I remember when we first, we, the first songs we learned were songs from the new record, and those kind of came pretty naturally. And then it was like, all right, well, if we're going to tour, we got to learn some some of the back catalog songs, you know. And uh, I let them pick. I was like, well, why don't you guys pick what songs you might want to play or that you think would be fun to play? And so we started from there, and they came back with a few deep cuts um Ooh. That, that, uh, what kind of deep cuts kind of like one How song deep? called sleep better which is on music for the morning after from yes. 2001 and uh you wow. know like we hadn't really played i hadn't played that live with a band since probably 2001 you know maybe 2002 yeah. and uh i was like all right we'll try it. but they bring overall like they bring uh kind of a slightly different vibe to the older songs but uh it's it feels fun like it's it's like a it's a cool thing that they're bringing to it and and yeah. it feels like it's like you know respectful to the songs and the recordings but like kind of a, a a new freshness to it that just has like a nice energy and i think that i think that that everybody's feeling that so it's cool to see because you never know you know if it's going to work of or not course. well you you also never know what um what kind of songs are going to kind of gel with that band you yeah. you you kind of when you meet somebody new you can kind of tell what they like but when you're showcasing your own music and being that kind of front man with this new band i suppose it's like you also have to show off the best of it but i love that they've gone for these deep cuts that you even had to rediscover i think that that works with the new material as well i mean like talking about sleep better like that goes so well with the new record yeah and i, I think yeah. you make a great point that like i think as we play together and and learn the strengths of everybody then it becomes a little slightly more obvious like oh you know what song might right. be good to try you know or like i'm not going to touch this song because it might be too just not really in our wheelhouse but like we kind of figuring out what our wheelhouse is and then we kind of pulling songs in from, from that space and so yeah. you've put out two live albums so far and obviously live albums can be quite tricky did you have the, that affinity toward live albums as a kid like did you have a specific vision for it based on something you had listened to or experienced before i remember when we recorded the live from new jersey they had this truck with a with a full studio on the back of it like a box truck and they pulled up outside and they connected all these wires and everything and they recorded the show uh multi-track and i remember thinking that was so cool and i remember after the show i, I climbed into the back of the truck and they were playing yeah. it back for me and i was like oh, this God. is amazing it's like they have like a full like you know 72 track console in that in the back of this box wow. truck and um uh you know live stuff you know some there's certain bands that are great live and i remember being inspired growing up by seeing some bands that were just so powerful live and you know sometimes there's just they're just bands that sound good no matter what you know they're like they don't need right. it. they don't need anything they're just like it's that magical thing of these this group of players together and they just sound amazing always and um you know i, I always uh, I, I always you know aspire to be on on that level but it's it's hard you know and it's tricky and and one 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 member you know personnel change can make a big difference you know so you know i'm, I'm sensitive to that and and i'm not one who's like oh I'll just whip up anyone to play these songs and just grab sure. anyone like it's you know it's definitely there's a lot of thought put into it and care so last year i visited the calgary like music museum or something i can't remember what it's exactly called i don't know if you've heard of it or been there in, in canada. canada it's like it's this massive structure and it's got the oldest instruments and it has the original rolling stones truck that they recorded on as well on the road oh wow. so exactly kind of what you're talking about that's so I love that that happened with yeah. <laughs> that happened and you got to actually dive inside and listen to it because plugging something in it's like it's like this kind of forgotten art of capturing live music as it's happening as opposed to you know I suppose that's analog versus digital that whole concept but I think that there's something really special about capturing it right there and not really needing to go into this full spec studio yeah you know there's a few ways to do it like some people will do it if they really want to you know go for it and they're putting together something kind of really high end they'll do it multi-track and 
you know, now we record all our shows through our console every night. We have this digital console that we can record with. And so mm-hmm. my sound guy, Jonathan, has been recording the shows. And he also puts up a couple ambient mics around the room. So it's like a board tape and you mix it with the room. And I haven't heard any of it yet, but um, I'm excited to check it out after the tour and see what sounds good. Do you have a plan of what you're going to do with it? I don't have a plan. You know, the latest live show that we recorded was actually one of my acoustic shows. I've been doing all this yes. acoustic touring for like four years, and, and we just did live at the Troubadour and uh, in, in, in West Hollywood, and we recorded that, and it came out really well. And I just, uh, we filmed it too, and we're kind of putting it together and we're figuring out what we want to do with it, but I did I did put out a song like on now there's so many ways to just get song like live stuff out quick like I just I put something on you on a Instagram my Instagram TV channel I put Crystal Village up there um and so wow it's you okay. know it's there's stuff out there and I'll, I'll probably put more out I think it's also because it's it's so nice to be able to get to where your fans are now it's like you go to the platform and give them what they want but it also makes fans seem incredibly needy and <laughs> <laughs> like we just get everything we want now don't we I mean you as you're a music fan too right so I feel. Do you feel like that shift is happening? That you feel kind of grateful that music, you could just get music in any way, or do you feel a little bit like, I don't know, like a Neil Young, where he's like, I can't handle this. Yeah. It's too much. I think I'm somewhere in between where, yes, there is a little, there's a little fatigue where you just, you know, like when you just have so much choice, it's hard to make a choice, you know. Um, right. And uh, it's nice it's nice when you want to put something out, but then there's also that thing like still at the end of the day, you know, people have to know it's there, you know, uh, even though you can instantly put something out, you know, you hope that people are paying attention or that they know it's there to, to go check it out. Um, but the, the cool thing today is that people can share stuff so easily, you know? So, um, you know, it's just about, it's just a different, different, totally different world than when I first started with the the way people kind of consume music and content and all that but that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> it is it is but i think it's fascinating especially because there is that whole idea of when you started out you didn't start out last year you know you have been around for a very long time and i feel like the way that you have your the trajectory of your career has gone has been that you've experienced kind of these different iterations as you said you've just been touring acoustically for four years and now you're back with a band with a new record you know you I, I, another collaborator that i'd love to talk more about in a bit is peter back of rem and there's just like so many people that you've worked with that you almost have to shift and change your own style but maybe, but also stay true to yourself as well. So with all these shifts and change within the landscape of music, you also have to make sure that you are still servicing the core of who you are as a musician. Yeah, and that's, you know, for me, it's pretty natural to do that. I have like a a pretty rigid center <laughs> where, where yeah. you know, if I'm just like, no. You know, if something feels wrong or not natural to me, you know, and, I, and I'll, I'll have the conversation with myself. I was like, well... Are you just being a curmudgeon? Are you stuck in your comfort zone? <laughs> you know, like I, I look at it from all angles, and uh, you know, I definitely like to do things that feel different and not the way they've been done. I, ultimately, for me, I just want, you know, if I have music that I'm excited about, I just want people to discover it and 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 hopefully come see me at shows and crank it on a Saturday night or on a Tuesday morning, whatever, and share it with their family and friends and and get something out of it, you know, and all the other stuff that goes with it, you know. I just hope that you know it, it somehow creates a situation where I can continue to make the music and and right. and and be able to you know live my life and you know not be homeless. Um, but um, yeah, you know, just continue a, to do the work, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, yeah, everything seems to luckily take care of itself, and I just focus on on you know the music and 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 my love for that. And you mentioned a little bit earlier about obviously being sensitive to who you're working with and what's happening around you. So tell me a little bit about the process of you in the studio this time around for this album. Just listening to it, what were you a little bit more affected by this time around? This was a record that, this was a journey into sound. What is that from? 
That's a song. This is a journey into sound. It sounds like a bit it was beginning a of a. Di- <laughs> it was oh, a journey <laughs> into sound and a uh, sound odyssey. Um, a few things happened. Yeah. Very important things happened. I was sitting with my brother, my middle brother, who's older than me, and he said we were at a restaurant, and this is probably uh, January of 2018. And he said, Petey, when are we going to get some new music from you? I know some new new music. And he's like my biggest fan. He's like, he used to be the drummer in my band. And I said, and I looked down, I said, man, I don't know. We had, we had, uh, had a baby a couple of years before. And I was so focused on her and enjoying it so much. I just kind of like, I think all my creative juice was going to being creative as a dad or something like that. I wasn't really writing much. And I, w- I didn't really care. I was just kind of like. I'm good. I'm not in a rush. I have, I have so many records out. It's like I didn't feel the need to put anything else into the world at, at that moment. And that's by no means didn't mean I wasn't going to, you know, dip back into it. I just wasn't really thinking about it. And so I said to him, like, ah, I don't know. I'm not really feeling it. Three days later, I get an email c- reconnecting me with this kid, Jackson Phillips, who, I, who, mm-hmm. who is Daywave who I had met maybe like three months earlier at a birthday party late at night. We were both kind of like, you know, had a few drinks at that point. And, and we met and we talked. And I remember we hit it off. We were like, what's up, man? And it was a really cool conversation that we had. And I had, I had known his music and liked it. Then I, I remember he said like, oh, I got a studio out in Silver Lake. You should come by. And I was like, we were like, yeah, yeah. And I totally wanted to. But then like next day, like woke up, completely forgot about it. I don't know if something was put in the air, whatever. After I told my brother, I wasn't really thinking about anything. But all of a sudden... There's Jackson Phillips uh, connected with me on an email, and I was like, oh, yeah, I should go out and see him. So I went and saw him, and we literally, we talked for a few minutes and decided we were going to record some songs for fun, maybe make an EP, like five songs. And I think I went back, I left his house after just a short meeting that day, and then I went back a few days later, and we just hit it. We just started making music together, and it was so natural, and uh, just kind of, you know, I would take a take a step he would take a step i would take a step he would take a step and we just kind of just have fun playing and creating uh soundscapes it's weird with me it's always when i say like oh, i'm not doing something like literally three days later all of a sudden boom so what happened so where it led to was like the most kind of like uh kind of creative spurt i had in in years and we ended up recording 20 songs uh i basically wow. go there like once a week uh maybe we took like a month where i didn't where i was traveling or he was traveling too but like i would go there once a week and we would we'd start in the morning at like 11 a.m and by five six o'clock we'd have a full song done um and at first it was songs that i had written that i was kind of sitting on you know this as a jumping off point and then mm-hmm. after like four songs we're like why don't I just start writing tunes together and we started writing songs together um where i would still write you know the lyrics but uh we would write the music and the arrangement together and um it was just fun and we would joke we'd be like you know every day i'd come on he'd send me a he'd send me an mp3 as i was getting in my car and i would kind of crank it up on my drive home back to the santa monica and uh be like it sounds pretty good i like this and and you know and then was the songs sometimes they burn out quick or sometimes i would leave the studio and other sessions not with him you know over years where i i was excited about some of you and then i and then it wouldn't stay with me i'd be like ah, i don't like it but these songs really stayed and um and uh, we would joke, like, well, how long you want to keep going with this? And we would just be like, well, until we make something that we're just kind of not into or something. So uh, we're still kind of just have this open uh, kind of... That never happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of right. o- open kind of uh, invitation to just record music together. And he, he was super welcoming uh, me into his house and generous with his time and just a great guy. And having him out on the road now is just a bonus. He's just like a really good person. I like uh, spending time with him, so... When I met him that night at the birthday party in Malibu, California, he said that, um, you know, he said that, you know, when he was little, he's, you know, he's a bit younger than me. And when he was little, his older sister used to play my first record in the car all the time. And so he kind of grew up, you know, listening to that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think when we got in the studio together, he kind of, I don't know, maybe he just saw me a certain different way than I had seen myself in a while. And he kind of reminded me about some things that I was into that I had maybe moved on from or forgot about. And so it was interesting. He gave me kind of a a fresh perspective on myself. And I think that's, you can hear that in the record as well. You can. Yeah. Yeah. But you also want that relationship with a, with a working partner where you are not only inspired to do something new, 
but you're also inspired to have different perspectives because I don't know why you do this. I can't, uh, you know, I can't put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming part of it is to also rediscover things about yourself that you didn't know. And obviously seeing a fan and then somebody that you respect, having that relationship, I can imagine was really eye-opening for you yeah I, th I think so more than anything it was just we just had this flow it was just like and sometimes you could have a flow and nothing really you know you could get something out of it but it doesn't keep your interest but for, for whatever reason it kept under i didn't he comes up with some beautiful parts i mean he's great keyboard player great guitar mm -hmm. player and he just had a good instinct on everything and and I think we just kind of worked well with each other so and also having the space i suppose when you don't have an expectation and all this idea like, right, I'm going to come out with this record this year. I'm going to get in and record it. When you initially didn't have that idea that you were going to do all of that, does that allow you to have that moment of pause and, and have that break almost where you can creatively just like re-up your, uh, you know, get the steam back? You know, I've made so many records over the years and different different projects and stuff like that but i do feel like i always even when i'm making a record for a major label or there's an expectation i feel like i was always trying to create the illusion that that mm. uh i was just making music with my friend or something like that it wasn't like and i never loved like big fancy recording studios i'd always opt for home setups you know little home home studios and um i liked that sort of kind of laid-back approach to it at the same time, I like to record fast. I don't like belaboring over things. And I kind of yeah. like to, um, like, we, we, we get it and we keep moving. And if it's not somewhere that's great, then, you know, because you're in a home studio, it's not a bit, we'll just tear the whole thing down and start again, like a whole nother version of it or something like that. Um, Wait, you're not, so you're not precious about the work? No, I'm not precious about, it. I'm precious about the final product, but I'm not precious about, uh the process at all i'm not meticulous wow. with, i'd rather get that, but that's it's amazing you're like a unicorn i'd rather <laughs> get, <laughs> yeah, i'd rather get just i'm just want the like a vibe i want something right it's so hard to get something recorded that over repeated listens you know still seems interesting to, to me so that's what I'd, I'd rather have and and it might be something that sounds crappier than something that's recorded really hi-fi you know i just it's just about capturing a, a feeling is the most important thing do you feel like that is why you feel so comfy touring and on stage and performing live because you're not kind of slaving over this idea of what it's meant to sound like and you can just be as imaginative and improvise as much as possible do you feel like that lends it lends itself to you playing live in your performance well i don't know about anybody trick but let me be very clear there's nothing uh comfortable or comfy about me <laughs> having to play live ever um, <laughs> but, or touring but tell me more but i do it Why? i do it because yes. i do it because on the other side of what you said i do yes. love the idea of creating a living version of the song every night and that makes me feel more alive it makes the music feel alive and um i like that opportunity uh for sure to do that you know my acoustic tours the one rule is there's no set list um mm -hmm. and so i'd have to make the show up on the spot every night and you know i take requests and just kind of feel what i'm feeling but uh, that kind of spontaneity uh which at first terrified me um ended up becoming something that you know i kind of crave in the in the show and uh i could already tell um you know with the band shows it's much more of a tailored thing you know it's like a we have a set list and we know kind of what songs and what order we're going to play there's like an acoustic moment in the middle of the show where i just do a few songs myself and i take requests there and they could be different every night but as far as the set with the band we kind of have like a set show and it's a much more um kind of uh, organized thing and that's mm. that's cool as well but i'm curious to see how long that'll keep my interest um, because I'm so used to just the kind of total free for all of the acoustic shows where I can go anywhere I want. I'll probably have to mix up the set list soon, but we've, we've done three shows and they've been fun so far, but I, I can tell after a few more, I'll probably have to mix it up. Pause the podcast. Pause the podcast. Are you looking at a calendar full of great events, but struggling to find tickets? 
StubHub's gotcha. Whatever your favorite band, team, or venue, StubHub is here to save the day with the best tickets for any budget. Whether you're looking for a seat at a Broadway show, tickets to the summer's big arena tour, or a night of cheering on your hometown team, StubHub has the seats you're looking for at the price you want to pay. Head to cosradio.lv StubHub or their user-friendly app to find tickets that are 100% guaranteed by FanProtect. StubHub's never sold out with the most shows, the most tickets, and the most fans. So, head on over to cosradio.lv slash StubHub or the StubHub app. The best tickets to the best experiences in music, sports, and theater. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. Just clarify for me, so you mentioned that you're not so comfy on stage, but yet I feel like doing an acoustic show when you have like an artist and fan interaction, that feels incredibly uncomfy in my brain. But I'm also not a performer. Why does that make you feel kind of comfy? And how have you managed to kind of get over the fact that you just got to do it? You just have to push through. I've just built endurance over the years and mental mental toughness, I think, is a lot of it. Yeah. Um. I will say it's hard. Maybe let me be more clear. I, like I, I have to remind myself a lot during the day when I'm away and I'm traveling that the best part of the day is going to be the show, especially if I feel well, you know, if I'm not like sick or so it's like horrible to be sick on the road and have to perform or you're worrying about letting anybody down. That sucks. Um, but when I feel good and everything, you know, the best part of the day is the show for sure. And after the show, you feel like, you know, like you're on top of the world. You feel like you accomplished something. Um, and that's amazing. But uh, but but it, I think the worst, the, the hardest thing about touring is just kind of the in-between. It's like the day and going, going, waiting for the show and going or being out of your, your space. And I, that was something that I've had to learn to deal with. I think when I was younger, I would just kind of, you know, drink a lot, smoke a lot and just kind of like party through it. I was... I was a young kid out in the town, but now, you know, it's a different experience for sure. And I've had to find new things to keep me interested on the road than they would back in the day. And, um, you know, now I, luckily I travel with a, a, a bunch of great people, whether it's the acoustic tours or now with this new band with all great guys, they're cool people to interact with, but, but yeah, it's kind of like, just kind of, kind of stay headstrong and, and be, be ready for each show. And then when you do the show then you could really kind of get into it but i know what you mean about the the, it's the spaces in between where you're kind of waiting because the thrill of obviously going on stage versus being quiet in your room it's this juxtaposition that's kind of jarring yeah sometimes you find like i've i've been like your back your backstage in this quiet room or like a big festival or something in a trailer and all of a sudden you're going to be out in front of like eighty thousand people and like (laughs) Like sometimes, like if you're not feeling good in your head, it like could like make you dizzy, you know. <laughs> but like, yeah. Then you go, you go, and you get out there, and it's like, what? But yeah, I've learned some good tricks over the years to kind of like just just get get pumped up for it. So, can you share some of them or one of them? One of them is you know, someone said this. This was great, um, and this was more recently. This was maybe about mm-hmm. in the springtime. I was I went to a radio station in Kansas City. Um, uh missouri and i had to play calm down for the first time on the radio acoustic and uh i remember i started i hadn't done that in a while and and i i was playing it and i got through it and it was fine but i felt afterwards when i was done i told the dj i was like wow it's like it's weird even though you know like it's not a big deal like when you go live on the air all of a sudden like the something in me starts like like giving me anxiety like you feel it like you get like my legs get like weak or whatever and you know you play it and she said she's like oh i'm i'm djing here all the time and i just pretend i'm like talking to nobody in my bedroom and i was like (laughs) that's awesome and i swear like just like when i'm playing if i'm on like you know it doesn't matter if i'm on like you know a huge tv show or whatever i just kind of like I go to that. I'm just like, I just pretend like you were like 12 years old in your bedroom and just like playing to nobody. And it's really freeing to do that. And I feel like it kind of just takes away all that extra weight that a person could put on themselves, you know? And it's funny. I've done this for so many years and still, you still, I think it's, you're not human if you don't feel little nerves when you get up there, you're supposed to feel it. Uh, someone else said something great, which I'll share with you, is they termed it uh, anxiety, and it's a combination of anxiety and excitement. Ah. <laughs> uh 
And I think it was the oh, mayor so of good. L.A. At my niece's high school graduation, the oh. mayor of L.A. Uh, set that. <laughs> and I was like, I love that. And and so when I kind of when I frame it and when I frame it like that in my head, as opposed to I'm having a panic attack, uh, it's way better. It works much better. And uh, uh, and so that helps that helps me kind of enjoy performing a lot more. I suppose yeah. having to drink a complete bottle of whiskey before I get on stage. You know? <laughs> that doesn't work anymore, so I can't do that. I know. I was, I'm glad that that's not one of your latest tips, but <laughs> I feel like, you know, it, it's it's so normal because I, I also suppose when people do turn to something that they can escape with, whether it's drugs or booze or books or, you know, film or, I don't know, you know, running around town or it's like when I spoke to David Byrne, he cycles a lot. So like that's his way of kind of meshing the two worlds of being alone and then suddenly being in front of 80,000 people. Yeah, yeah. I think it gets really fascinating when you have been doing it, when an artist has been doing it for so long and your motivations in life change. Like, as you said, you, you have a daughter. Touring isn't what it was. Um, if anything, there's much more pressure to tour now. Uh, you know, because that's kind of a, a guaranteed financial uh, remuneration for everything that you're doing. So I think that external pressure is definitely there. But so do you feel more cut out to deal with it now because you've had all of this experience? Or is it just because you enjoy it at the end of the day? I feel like it's a combination, you know, I do feel like I'm better equipped to handle the road as long as my health holds up uh for sure now than than i than i was years ago um or i just approach it in a much different way because you have to things change but um uh you know if people who know me they know i'm pretty much a homebody and and uh i love being at home with my wife and my daughter and my family all lives out in california and uh you know i'm i'm simple in that way and like i don't really go out much and so when I do tour, you know, I'm not going to be someone that's going to tour, you know, six months straight or I mean, I've done right. that. I've done that. I went 18 months straight. I remember on my first record, <gasps> but I had no, I had no ties. I didn't have any ties. Shit. But touring as much as I used to messed me up a little bit where I remember like I couldn't like yeah. live on my own for a while. I was like, I had all these weird like ticks and anxieties and stuff that I had to work through. And now I finally have, I remember I, in my mid thirties, I was like, I just, I don't want to miss out on like a normal life at all. I just want to settle down and like have a home life and all that. So I've worked, I focus really hard on, on creating that for myself. And so now when I go out, you know, I go out like, like it's two weeks, like without, <laughs> I won't go, I won't go out more than, this is the longest stretch right now. It's about just over two weeks. Um, but I won't go out longer than that without going home for a bit. Um, because I'm just not cut out for it, and and I don't want I don't want that. But I I do feel so grateful to be able to go play shows and the fans come and do that whole thing and the, to to make the music feel live. You know, it's 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 amazing. But I just don't have I don't have any sort of uh, dreams of like this 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 long road life. I don't I don't I don't. But I feel like that's kind of the dream, right? Is to not only work with people that you respect and that you gel with, but also to kind of make your career up as you're going to suit your lifestyle, as opposed to having any sort of pressure and not being able to deal with it. Because then your music is going to be shitty. Your fans are going to, you know, feel despondent. So actually making it work, whether it feels selfish or not, I think is a much better attitude. It's sustainable, you know, it's not something that will burn, you'll burn out. You're talking a lot of sense right now. I'll tell you, <laughs> you're making a heck of a whole lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, sustainable. I mean, that's like, that's like another great word. And it, sustainability. it applies. We have to be sustainable <laughs> yeah. out here for sure. But like, I feel like you can hear that you are excited on your record as, as, as much as the songs are about what they are, they are and, and whether, you know, forget about the pacing, forget about that. You definitely sound the jazz to be here. Like that's, it's a strange phrasing, but you sound excited to be making new music again within this context. Absolutely. And I feel like it makes sense now that you've clearly given yourself some sort of boundaries. Yeah. It's nice to hear because you don't you don't hear it often. I think a lot of the feedback that I get doing this job is how tired people are, you know, and just really tired of not being able to start a family or feeling pressure. So much of the landscape is about churning out creativity and that really is taxing for people. One thing that you said made me think is like, 
if you look at the set list of the shows, you know, of the last three nights, I mean, I'm playing seven, maybe eight songs from the new record, which I don't, I don't know how, you know, how often bands could get away with that or do that. But like, we play the new songs and they feel like just like instantly just right part of like the fabric of the show. And I love singing them and, and, and playing them with these guys. So it's, it's cool. Like it's very much the caretakers tour and it's very much, um, you know, a showcase for this new music. And we also dip into, you know, lots of, lots of the older material that people kind of came up with, you know, that, 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 that I know they want to hear too, but it's, it's, it feels that's definitely what makes me excited is playing all these new songs so you put in a lot of work early in your time in LA at the famed venue Lago which obviously has been kind of this hub for music and also comedy I've just known it you know there was like Elliot Smith to like Amy Mann and Fiona Apple but also you know Paul F. Tompkins and Sarah Silverman Tignataro so what did it feel like Tenacious D Tenacious D. They came out of Largo. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, John I just, Bryan. I was just talking I'm about Largo remember. on the ride over here with, with, with my friend Natalie. That's yeah, funny. Uh, yeah. What were you saying about Largo? She asked me uh, if I knew, you know, if I was following the comedy world because she, she represents some some comedians and stuff like that. And yes. I was like, I was like, oh, I'm like, not as much as I should. Obviously, I love comedy and, and all, but I, I mentioned that I had just done this show at Largo, which has a huge you know, comedy side, uh, this podcast, which is a live podcast there called Dumb People Town, hosted by okay. the, the Sklar brothers and yes. um, Andy Richter. And, mm-hmm. I and, love uh, Andy Richter. And I, I was kind of like, they asked me to do it. I'd be their musical guest. But I just had to play three songs and sing the theme song. And they have like a funny Dumb People Town theme song. And I, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, ah, I really like those guys a lot. So I was like, I want to do this. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what to expect, but it'll probably be cool. Uh, and I was telling Natalie that I had they. I got to sit on stage the whole show, and I would play a song here and there in between their commentary and all this funny stuff. And there were a whole bunch of other comedians in in the group as guests as well. But I had the biggest smile on my face the whole night. I was I was laughing so hard, and I was so happy. I was so glad that I did it, and. Um, yeah, the the whole comedy element at Largo is such a such a a vibrant thing. I got to see Ellen DeGeneres do. She had just done a stand up that was a oh Netflix Netflix special, and I got to see her do some practice some of her material that would make it into that at Largo. And it's a small room, and uh, I remember that was such a great night, and uh, and uh, yeah, just a great place, and and. Um, and so yeah that comedy night that i recently did was very fun i enjoyed it we just listed off a bunch of people that have played there you just mentioned ellen and it's a tiny space and i feel like you can feel an affinity like a lot of times musicians and comedians have this sort of i don't know unspoken connection i don't know if it's about being able to just put your life out there very candidly and, uh, you know, just like giving it all, giving it your all. I don't know what the connection is, but a lot of comedians that I talk to are also musicians or like obsessed with music. Um, and a lot of musicians are, you know, obsessed with comedy. So what do you feel like is the thing for you that really uh, stands out about that venue and more specifically how it has been able to cross over between music and comedy well first of all there's a guy the guy who runs it, his name is flanagan and he's a great spirit great person and he's kind of curated this for years and my my real connection with largo is at the original space which was on fairfax across from canner's mm-hmm. deli and it's not there anymore um and that's where i used to I, I i was lucky enough to get some of my first ever live gigs there in the mid 90s um one of my friends from college this kid adam cohen who is leonard cohen's son he was one of my good buddies at school. I had no idea who Leonard Cohen was at the time, but I knew that his dad was a musician, but I, I didn't really have any interest there. But I had made some demos, and he said, oh, I know this guy at this place, Largo. Adam knew about it before I even knew what it was, and he gave him he gave Flanagan my CD. And next oh, thing wow. I knew, Flanagan was like, yeah, we'll have you in. We'll, have, we'll give you a show. And I was like, oh, my God, sweet. So um, that's what started me off at Largo. I always have to give adam credit for getting me in there and flanagan for believing in my early demos and he's always been supportive (laughs) um so i would play there once in a while i remember at the time it was super you know 
singer songwriters it was you know elliot smith amy mann uh um this guy jude was playing there a lot all these really great people and i remember you could i'd walk in and you could just it would be a pin you could hear a pin drop it was silent in there and they'd be playing these beautiful intricate songs and i remember i'd come to play and all my like friends from school from back east would show up and they'd like because it, it was basically an irish pub and they would kind of take over the bar and they would talk loud through my entire set and it'd be so loud in there and i was like damn i'm like how do you get how do you get Shit. people to be quiet like this i don't know how to do it and people enjoyed it it was just more of a rowdy thing and yeah. uh it took me like it took me like 20 years to figure out how to quiet a crowd down and the trick is you just get more quiet you just get really quiet <laughs> and then everyone kind of pays attention but um oh, i love that but, you uh, lead by example and they're yeah. like wait what i can't hear you <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that was a great spot so then they moved to uh to la sienica and took over the old coronet theater and uh that's where they've been. I've lost a track of how many years they've been there. It could be 10 years, 12 years. I don't know, maybe longer. And I've played there a handful of times as part of other shows, but I've never actually done a headline set there. And, uh, uh, but I've seen, I've seen Dimitri Martin there. I said, like I said, I oh saw Ellen. God, I love him. He's great. Oh. And I saw, oh, he is um, such a sweetheart. Yeah. Oh, the no, best. He's fantastic. I've played there with my band, the Ohms. Actually, I played with Dimitri. Yes uh with uh with the ohms we did like a, co a co-show oh, wow. together which was really fun and i think i did a benefit there or something like that but yeah i mean flanagan's still there it's always great to see and so many you know the the spirit is alive and well at largo <laughs> yes do you remember your first ever gig the first ever performance that you that you had that i played yes yes that like, you played as a as like a trying to go for it performance or like my like and like a talent show i i mean the first time ever so clearly the talent show first time ever was i was the drummer in a band called cheese and <laughs> we played covers and i don't even think we had any original songs in the gym of my high school in montville new jersey uh, I think I was a sophomore, maybe 14 years old. And it was some sort of dance or something. Somehow we got a gig to play at that. And we were playing like replacements covers and the police. And <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was that was it. And then a few, a few months later, I think there was a talent show. And uh, we played, I played drums again and sang. And we did talent show by the replacements at the talent show. And we, we came in second place because some other band heard me sing. And they asked me if I would sing neil young's rocking in the free world with them uh and then they won well. and then they won this old story <laughs> but then they won and i didn't play drums and i sang up front that was the first time i ever kind of got in front of a band and uh and i remember we won the whole thing and it was like hmm, that was kind of cool but i never even till years later i didn't think i would do music as a career i was supposed to be a lawyer um but uh then i decided well after college i was writing so many songs i was like well, let me try music for a little bit and then i could always go to law school but wait isn't your brother one of your brothers a, a lawyer my oldest well? brother is a lawyer yeah Have and I, I was gonna follow in his footsteps because he was cool oh my and gosh. i was like that's all. I, honestly you know some people go to college and they know exactly what they want to be and who they are like, right. i had no idea i was just like i knew i was writing a lot of songs but it was just it seemed too obvious i was like oh, i'm gonna be a gonna do music as a career no come on uh i don't think so so tell me about the first show then the first gig that you ever saw and when was it and where was it the first time i ever saw live music that i remember was an, another talent show at my high school in in, okay. the, in the auditorium and my one of my brothers took me in this band called sand in the face played i remember they were a punk band <laughs> led by this guy like like Paul Schraft, I think was his name or something, mm -hmm. and they were they might have been like borderline like skinheads. At the time. I don't know. There was like oh, a little, no. I don't know. Oh I don't know God. what was going on, but they were, they were they were pretty good. Like for a punk band, I remember at the time okay. I, I was probably like seven or eight, wow. and I was like, this is kind of cool. And then this other band, like this metal band, like you know, in Jersey there was all these metal bands. These other kids came and 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 they played like. Uh, probably some like Iron Maiden cover or something like that and I remember thinking wow this is cool you know I was exposed to music at a young age in my house because my older brothers would would the, you know my middle brother was a drummer and my other brother would try and be the lead singer and they would have ah. their friends from the neighborhood come around and they were actually pretty good uh, and they would just rock out in our basement my parents would allow that and I would be like seven years old and they'd be 
you know, in high school, they were older than me. So I would just kind of see this in my basement. I remember as a little kid thinking like, like I can do that. I could, you know, and they'd leave and I'd like jump on the drums and kind of get it going. But, but, um, now I'm going to tell you though, the first real concert I ever went to, like, yes. like, well, this was the first one with my parents that my parents took me to was in Atlantic City, New Jersey at Bally's. I believe it was the uh, Bally's Park Place. And it was Diana Ross and the, <gasps> the and the Young Rascals were opening. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty so cool good. first gig. I, I that's thought, a pretty fucking, that's a great one. No one's actually mentioned Diana Ross yet because on the show we always talk about first concerts and that's a that's a pretty stellar first show. Yeah. What do you remember about it? I honestly remember the Rascals a little bit more than Diana Ross. I can't picture that part of the show, but I can, you know, I was pretty little, but I could, I think I remember the, the, the Rascals, um, remember being like, well, there's a big organ up there, you know, like I was a lot of organ playing. <laughs> um, and then I just remember being in Atlantic City, like for the first time or something. It was weird. The first, the first show that I ever went to with just my friends, that's a whole different mm-hmm. thing. And that was poison with warrant opening at the brendan Byrne arena which i don't even know if it's still there or if it has a different name yeah. now which is at the meadowlands in new jersey and uh wow. that was that was i was 14 i remember when i went with like six of my friends to see that show how cool did you feel walking into that venue because uh, i feel like you had some sort of cool factor it's funny because i was like you know, I was into that music at the time, but I was also into the Smiths and the Cure and 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 REM and all this other stuff. So, like, I think I would have felt cooler if it was like a Smiths show or an REM show. Uh, yeah, this was like I felt like I was going to like a pop show. Like it was fun, uh, but it was more about like just going with my friends. And I remember some of them they like had this plan. They were gonna like they were gonna they thought they were gonna get high smoking pumpkin seeds. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> they showed up with like toilet paper some kid had a toilet paper roll with like <laughs> tissue wrapped around it like to make like a like a big cigar and it was filled what? with pumpkin seed. i'm like what the hell are you doing no, what are look, you? I mean, yeah this was weird that's a, that's a, that's a, I, i'm pretty sure that's a true memory that i have and i was like what, and then you, what you didn't doing? just dream this this whole thing up yeah, smoking no, or unless this is your secret confession it's true that you want to smoke pumpkin seeds I no, know. I did. I did. I definitely <laughs> knew better at that point because I had older <laughs> brothers, you know. But I think these were kids who didn't have older brothers or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> but I do want to chat about obviously your collaboration with Scarlett Johansson as well because I, you name all these. You, your influences are kind of wide ranging, as you said. What you were listening to when you were younger, the type of music you've made, the people you've collaborated with. So talk to me a little bit about that collaboration and how what what were the things that you really learned about. Your yourself as a musician through working with somebody like her you touched on something earlier like when you work with someone they could kind of you know show you new ways of looking at your material or and and that was like the one of the biggest things was you know hearing her sing uh stuff that you know some songs that i had already written or i was thinking about something else when i wrote it uh kind of put a different angle on it you know uh and uh just kind of changes the context which is always always a cool thing um but uh i remember when we you know when we first got together i didn't it was really about like a just like a an energy and a persona like i i didn't know if she could sing at all i knew how talented she was and she was an old friend um but i didn't really know you know what her deal was and i just was lucky timing that she was she was really interesting and doing some singing right at that time as well and uh just worked out it was just worked out timing wise but um yeah she brought just like this cool persona to to the project and that was what i was looking for and then she ended up being a great singer too so yeah and then obviously as a fan of uh, rem and then getting to work with peter how do you get starstruck often like how how often do you feel like you meet an artist maybe on tour or on the road or even to somebody like from rem how do you feel around them like do you feel affected by that like how how affected are you by like your heroes and all people that you really respect whether they are legendary or not yeah you know especially back then you know i was a little younger and and i hadn't really met that many famous people and i but yeah like all of a sudden you're on tour with your heroes like i grew up like i was a diehard rem fan and and there was this whole world that 
all of a sudden you're like kind of hanging around and and i remember like just being this is crazy this is crazy like and those guys are on tour i remember were you know sometimes you go on tour and you don't really mix with with anybody everyone's kind of keeps themselves but they were really always wanted to hang out they're really nice and and uh we spent a lot of time together and had a lot of fun and uh and i i always remember uh just kind of it was like a dream it was like like a dream it was cool do you have a favorite show that you've ever played or maybe if it's easier to remember the favorite show that you've ever seen is there something that's really memorable that really sticks out in your mind there's not a favorite show that i've ever played it's probably maybe the last you know last night in philly i'd say uh typically moves like that um but as far as a favorite show that i've ever seen that's tough um you know a lot of it's just, there's a lot of ingredients that go into a good experience at a show and like Sometimes you could be at a show of a, something you've anticipated for so long and you go and you're just not feeling good or whatever and you just like bail early. I mean, that's happened like weird moments that like in my mind I was anticipating, like, I can't wait to hear this song live. And then all of a sudden like, and maybe, maybe it's just me, I don't know. But then all of a sudden like I'm in the room and like, I just, like, I just got to go. I just, and I, and I leave. And that's happened before. And then there's other times, I, like for me, I think it's the kind of the unexpected moments or just when the chemi- the alchemy comes together, I got like the right slight buzz and I'm with mm-hmm. some people and it's kind of unexpected and it just sounds great. Um, those are the special moments. Um, kind of typically what happened for me most often or consistently at a, Mor- at a Morrissey show. Um, I'm usually able to get there pretty easily at a Morrissey show. Um, uh springsteen show usually uh get there pretty easily um there was a a sloan concert i've spoken of before probably in 1997 or 98 at the troubadour in los angeles or canadian band and i remember that was uh just like unbelievable uh guided by voices um oh god they usually put on a show that will you know and like you go there i go there knowing i'm gonna drink some beers and we're gonna have fun and get rowdy (laughs) and i went i i I went with my my middle brother uh maybe two years ago to see them at teragram ballroom uh in los angeles and like by the end of the night me and my brother were front row jumping up and down like we were you know kids it was unbelievable yeah. it was really fun to do that and they, they have this song called glad girls and it's a great song on record but live it's just like another level and you just like kind of just jump up and down and you're just like got your arms around all these dudes up in the front and it's super fun <laughs> and i don't i really don't do that that often but that was that was uh that was special so yeah, yeah. and uh, you, you talked earlier about your brother being your biggest fan does he have a favorite song of yours? Like, do you know it? How much of his like fandom have you <laughs> have you been privy to? How um, much has he shared? Um, yeah, and you know, he's he's the one. As soon as I record a new song, like I'll send it to him right away. You know, like he's still he was the drummer in my band. He taught me how to play drums when I was little. Um, and both my brothers are super influential on me and and why I like music and and all that stuff. But I think. You know, he has a few for sure. I remember on Arranging Time of Shopping Mall, he was obsessed with that song. He just kept bringing it up and bringing it up. And I think <laughs> on this new record, I think it's the title track, Caretakers. Uh, oh, yeah. The song Caretakers so is his song. I think he just always, uh, ECT, he really loves to. But I remember when, when I first recorded Caretakers, he became obsessed with it. It really feels like the spirit of who you are. Like when I first listened to you many, many, many years ago, it feels Caretakers, like that embodiment that I feel like you've been able to capture again, which is not something that you need to do, but just something that has happened, which I think is kind of fucking cool that you managed <laughs> to do that. Um, and your daughter, well, how how have you, because I know you took a bit of time off, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, for her. Are you getting her into music too? How old is she now? She's four and she's awesome. <laughs> and she she does love music but she's gonna do it on her own terms she likes what she likes uh mm-hmm. so uh she she i have a playlist called b jams and uh, that i've been kind of curating for her based on what she's been digging since she's been little and uh it, it's evolved a little bit but like 
I think when they're young, they just want to hear like songs over and over, like the same songs. But like of the class, <laughs> yeah. like she definitely likes early Madonna, which is cool. And and ironically, wow. it was the first music she ever heard when we were driving over from the hospital. I remember I was like, she was in the in the back, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna turn on the radio. What's gonna be the first thing she ever hears? And it was Madonna, and now she actually likes Madonna. Um, wow! So Look she what likes you've done. she likes Holiday, Amazing. Get Into the Groove. Um, <laughs> And uh, you're and right, she, it is important. She loves Open it, Your it Heart is. from the late, little later record, but yeah. she, she likes Karma Chameleon by Culture Club. Um, she I think her nanny's got her into Taylor Swift a little bit lately, but um, so they maybe listen, that's just for the nanny. They listen, the they listen to that in the car a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but with me, she's lately, she says, the first thing she says when we get in the car, she's like, put on Shrek, and that means she wants to hear All Star by Smash Mouth. She still calls it. Oh, no. Shrek, because it's in the movie Shrek, and uh, she oh, man, loves that song. That's a fucking gem. I think that song is great. It kind of is a, a great gem. At the time, I like I didn't appreciate it, and now like I love no. it. I'm like, it's great. It's actually has great lyrics too. Honestly, I don't know if that's like a virus, but it has seeped into almost all the cultures. Yeah, like it's every great. every wedding, <laughs> every milestone, every mall, every <laughs> record store. You know, Smash This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtg pod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already During the holiday season, everyone's trying to get you to buy more stuff. Instead, head to StubHub so you can celebrate the season at a game or show. Take the whole family to the ballet, bang on the glass at a hockey game, or sing along with your favorite artist at a concert. Hey, we definitely count that as caroling. StubHub has the best selection of seats for all the holiday events you want to experience with your loved ones. And every ticket is 100% guaranteed. Get to StubHub.com or their user-friendly app today. Stub Hub, S-T-U-B-H-U-B, be there. Consequence Podcast Network.